All right. So my task today is he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. No small topic to say the least. And as any one of my sermons, you're going to get a pop cultural reference to start it off. You ready? Captain America's alter ego was a wimpy kid not blessed with athleticism and a physique to match his fearless heart and mental resolve. After seeing this passionate determination in action, the U.S. government gave Steve Rogers a special serum as part of a classified project called Secret Soldier or Super Soldier. As a result of the serum, Steve was endowed with a heightened levels of speed, strength, endurance, and stamina, equipped with an impenetrable, impenetrable shield made of steel and vibranium, a fictional metal, I might add. Cap sought out uh, ways to bring about justice and fight for American ideals until an accident left him frozen for decades. Eventually, Captain America is revived in today's world as a man plucked from his own time and placed in America that is quite different from the one that he left a half century ago. The famed villain called Red Skull was the leader of an underground mob called Hydra. Their mission was to rule the world through all facets of society and eventually take the earth by force. They did it by deceptively infiltrating the highest levels of government and the highest position in the world's richest corporations. The only way to defeat Red Skull was by creating Captain America. His body was prepared to put an end to Red Skull and eventually lead a team called the Avengers to put down Hydra and its world-dominating system. We as Christians have three enemies that are always before us. The world and its system, the flesh that is not our skin and bone, but the flesh, that part of our nature that rebels against God, and the devil. And when Jesus came from eternity in order and, and when Jesus came from eternity in order to put these three enemies down, he came like Captain America, that a body was prepared to defeat those enemies as an acceptable sacrifice for God. When Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, these implications are huge. His body was prepared by God for the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. A perfect sacrifice had to be made, and therefore Jesus' body was prepared for that purpose. To bring us back into a relationship with God. To put down sin's rebellion. To make an end to the world system. And to establish the kingdom. And that's what we're looking at here today in Hebrews 10. Look at with me verses, uh, chapter 10 verses 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow, it's a shadow of good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, it, meaning the law, can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. In other words, the Hebrews, this, this letter was written to the Hebrew Christians, but it very much applies to us as well, that they would offer sacrifices to account for their guilt and their shame before God, but it didn't work because they had to offer them year after year after year. And he, 
he goes on to say, I believe the Hebrew author is Paul. So I'll say Paul. Shoot me. Uh, other, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since worshipers have been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. If the blood of bulls and goats and rams had any effectiveness in bringing man back to God and in, in, in terms of cleansing us from our sin and cleansing us from our guilt and shame, then why would the sacrifices need to be uh, done over and over and over again? That's his point. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible, verse 4, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So the author of Hebrews makes a point that the law is only a means to an end, not the end itself. It's just a shadow of the things to come. Bringing the blood of lambs and goats and rams does not perfect anyone. It does not make somebody righteous before God. It does not justify anyone. It can't take away your sin. It can't take away your guilt. It's just a band-aid to stop the bleeding until proper surgery can be applied. As I mentioned earlier, the writer here is speaking to Jewish believers, and he's saying, you make your way to the tabernacle, bringing your little lamb with you, watching the bloodletting, watching the blood flow as it is offered, as a sacrifice. And you're reminded once again, once again, that you're still a sinner. You're still a failure. Year after year after year. And when Jesus came on the scene, however, what did he say? He said, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, he didn't say, remember your sin. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, remember your Savior. The sacrificial system that God set up as a temporary, it was a temporary way to deal with sin, to keep his people close, and to look forward to when God would reconcile our sinfulness to his justice and righteousness through the cross of Christ. The system, though, is weak. Even the Lord who set up this system did not desire the sacrifice of goats and rams, bulls and lambs. For it says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. Yes, God did forgive those who brought sacrifices, but this was a judicial forgiveness. And this did not fully cleanse the heart. So on the annual day of atonement, it didn't accomplish the remission of sins, but only the reminder of sin. So the annual repetition of the ceremony was evidence that the previous year's sacrifices didn't do the job. True, the nation's sins were covered, but they were not cleansed. Nor did the people of God have an inward witness of, forg of forgiveness and acceptance by God. And you know, this reminded me, I have a tendency, and maybe you have a tendency, to set up the same sacrificial systems in our own hearts and lives. What do I mean? Well, I focus on what I'm doing before God rather than what Christ has done for me. I ask myself, did I read my Bible enough? Did I pray enough? Did I tell someone about Jesus today? I live out of a performance mindset to try to please God, to try to justify my existence 
because I know that I am a failure. So I continually set up my own sacrificial system, if you will, to try and assuage his anger just because I think that he's just a little bit ticked off with me. You ever feel that way? Well, I have good news for you. The cross is taking care of that. But you see, his requirement to please him is simply that you believe him, that you put your confidence in him and your faith in him. Your sacrifice for him will fail. Let me say it again. Your sacrifice for him will fail. It won't do the job in removing your guilt, cleansing your conscience, and bringing you true freedom. Because the Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God, listen, God is pleased with Jesus' sacrifice which by faith in you believing that his sacrifice removed all of your guilt, cleansed your conscience, and brought you true freedom. His purpose, his purpose is for you to enjoy that freedom in him. That's what he wants. You see, because Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness or like filthy rags. By the way, I'm going to get a little graphic here. Do you know what filthy rags means in the Hebrew? Because the, the King James, the ESV, the New King James, the NASB, they're all being really nice. Because fi filthy rags literally means in the Hebrew used menstrual cloths. That's what God thinks of our own personal righteousness. That's how effective our little sacrificial system is. At best, it's used menstrual cloth. That's just nasty. That's gross. But you see, his desire for you to receive by faith that he gladly assuaged God's justice on your behalf. Because he loves you. He loves you that much that his will is to pour grace over you by faith through his work on Calvary. And that's why a body was prepared for you and for me. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit for that purpose. And I believe that his body was prepared a lot like Adam before the fall. In terms of his flesh. It was perfect. And God prepared it for the ultimate sacrifice. There's a story of King Cyrus that is said that Cyrus, the founder of the Persian Empire, once had captured a prince and, asked, and his family. And when they came before him, the monarch asked the prisoner, what will you give me if I will release you? The half of my wealth was his reply. And if I release your children, everything I possess. And if I release your wife, your majesty, King Cyrus, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by this man's devotion that he freed them all. He freed them all, and as they returned home, as they were walking along, the prince said to his wife, Boy, wasn't Cyrus just a handsome man? And with a deep look of love for her husband, as my wife looks to me, that's not funny. 
No pressure. With a look of deep love for her husband, she said to him, I didn't even notice. I can only keep my eyes on you, the one who is willing to give himself for me. You see, that's the relationship that Jesus wants. One of freedom, but one where you just simply look upon him with awe and wonder that he has justified you, that has pardoned you of all of your sins, that he has accepted you, that he has made you a a member of the kingdom of God, that you are a, a child of God, and that you are an heir to the throne. Or to the kingdom, I should say. In verse 1, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> In verse 1, the author of Hebrews says that the sacrifices offered can't make perfect to those who draw near. He's not saying sinless perfection as the following verses clearly show. He's saying the effectual nature of the cross removes the guilt of the person to allow free access to God in union to relationship with Him. You see, there are three ways that God has dealt with us. He has paid the penalty of our sin. He is currently freeing us from the power of sin. And someday when He's raptured tomorrow at 3.15 p.m., He will remove us from the presence of sin. That's a little dispensational joke too, but that one didn't fly. Uh, Those three ways. Look at verse 5 through 7 with me in your Bibles. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired. Ah, but a body you have prepared for me. You've prepared a body specifically for this time to sacrifice. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come to do your will as it is written of me in the scroll of the book or the volume of the book. Excuse me. It's interesting to note that in verse 5, the author of Hebrews attributes Psalm 40 verse 6 as the very words of, of Jesus. That's what he's quoting from here. That he understood the fact that the Father didn't want a sacrificial system. Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired. He doesn't want to relate to his children based on the system of law and regulations. He wants a relationship. His desire is for you to approach him as Father. When we adopted and brought Rachel home seven years ago, There were quite a few adjustments for her. You see, she was used to being rejected her whole life. And her whole life was spent trying to gain others' approval. So, when she became a Sartain, a new identity, a new person, we rolled out the red carpet for her and always just wanted her to enjoy and be a part of the family. And it's still a struggle for her today. But... I noticed that she would do extra dishes. She would actually make the boys' beds. She would do all these chores around the house. She was cleaning, vacuuming. But yet she was doing it out of a heart performance. She thought in her mind, and she told me this later, that maybe if I do enough good things, they won't send me back to that orphanage in Ukraine. That's the mentality that she lived with. But that wasn't my heart for her as her father still isn't. 
I simply just wanted my daughter to enjoy being free, to enjoy being a part of a family. I didn't need her sacrifice. I wanted her to be loved and to be to receive that love. And the same is true for some of you. You think that you have a relationship with the Godfather when in reality he's God the Father. What pleases him is not the sacrifices you make for him. No. What brings him pleasure is when you are pleased with him. And that you enjoy the freedom that you have with him. Do you want to please God? Then stop being a human doing and start being a human being. Stop doing and just start being who Christ has made you to be through his finished work on the cross. And then here is where we get the answer. Here is where this section of the Apostles' Creed comes alive when he says, but a body you have prepared for me. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. And man, next time I come up here, I'm not going to wear flip-flops because ants keep crawling all over my feet. (laughs) They're not biting me. They're just crawling. Because he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the volume of the book or in the scroll of the book. What does he mean when he says in the volume of the book? He means the book of the law. The law itself points to Christ and what he will do, what he has done. An example would be Leviticus 14, which is the law of the regulations of the priest to examine somebody who has been cleansed from leprosy. You see, look at this. Picture this. In Leviticus 14, God commanded, Moses commanded that the priest bring two birds to bring a pot with a a hyssop branch and, and a scarlet thread. He was to kill one bird and drain its blood into this basin. Then he was to take the live bird and dip that live bird in the blood. Once he dipped the live bird in the blood, then he was to set it free. Are you getting the picture? If I ever preach a uh, uh, an Easter sermon, I'm going to preach out of that, and I'll call, I'll call it the Easter bird. Because that that bird is now set free, and then the priest is to command the person that has been cleansed from leprosy, get this, to shave all of his hair off, and to burn all of his clothes and his possessions, to burn it all. Think about it. You have this bald guy with no hair. It's like he's been born again. He's been made new. That points to Christ. And every sacrifice uh, points to Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or fashion. He says, a body you have prepared for me. Psalm 40, verse 6 reads like this. Because the author of Hebrews changes it. He says, you've given me an open ear. Now, this doesn't change the meaning of the psalm, as indicated by the fact that the Hebrew writer was quoting the Septuagint version of the Hebrew metaphor. The Septuagint is just simply a fancy word to say it's the Old Testament written in Greek, okay? Which is an accurate representation for Greek readers. The Greek translators regarded the Hebrew words as a figure of speech. Basically, part of the speech signifies the whole, if you will. So the example here is the hollowing out of ears, as he says in Psalm 40, verse 6, 
was part of the total work of fashioning the human body. And ears were selected as that part to emphasize because they were symbols of obedience as the organ of the reception of God's word, if you will. But why? Why was he conceived by the Holy Spirit? Why couldn't Jesus be born from just two normal parents? Few reasons. Number one, because we're sinners by nature. The sin gene has been passed from Adam to us. He ruined it for us. It's called, this is a theological term called original sin, that we were born into sin. You don't have to teach your children how to lie. They just do it. You've got to teach your children how to be moral and right and good, right? So we, uh, Jesus, incarnation had to be a perfect human with, divine, with a divine nature, void of sin, in order to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Number two, only an eternal sacrifice would qualify to meet the demands of eternal justice. What do I mean? Well, let me explain. If I walked up to, to Charles Cameron and I slugged him in the face, he could pro- I could probably get a slap on the wrist for maybe a minor assault charge or something from the court. But let's say I took a trip over to Great Britain and I met... Uh, the Queen of England, and I just full-on just decked her. What do you think the punishment would be for that? I'd be in the pokey for a long time. Here's the truth. We have sinned against a holy God. And because we... Because... Because we have rebelled against a holy God, an eternal God, it requires, listen, an eternal punishment. Are you with me? And that eternal punishment requires a, an eternal sacrifice to satisfy the justice of God. Number three, it was to fulfill prophecy. If Jesus wasn't perfect, and if he wasn't conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, then the Bible wouldn't be trustworthy. It would be a fraud. It would just be another book full of myths and lores. Psalm 138.2 says that God puts his own word, listen, God puts his own word even above himself. That's how important this is to him. That's why you want to get in it every day. And you want to get in this book every day. Or rather... You want this book to get into you every day because it's God's word breathed. Look at verse 8. When he said above, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. But then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, the second being the new covenant. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So the text says that God didn't desire or take pleasure in sacrifices, but that begs the question, why did God set up the sacrificial system at all if he didn't desire it? Why did he bother? If the Father has no pleasure in sacrifices, why did he establish the system? Simply put, the bulls and rams and goats and lambs were like a promissory note. See, let me give you an illustration. 
the $1 bill in your pocket would be a worthless piece of paper if not for the government of the United States and Washington, D.C. putting its weight behind it, guaranteeing its value. Now, let's suppose, however, that you've opened your great-grandmother's trunk in her attic and you found stacks of $1,000 bills. But on closer inspection, you look at it and you notice an image of Jefferson Davis, President of the Confederate States of America. Now, although an antique dealer might buy them from you, the bills wouldn't be worth nearly their original value because the Confederate government no longer exists. It's worthless. The same is true of the sacrificial system. At one time, it had some weight because it represented the blood of the coming sacrificial lamb of God. But once the new, gov new covenant, the new government, the New Testament, the new covenant took effect, and the sacrifices of the Old Covenant became Confederate money, worthless. As any sacrifice that you are presently making for God is worthless. God has pleasure in only one sacrifice. And once you see this, once it really sinks into your heart, you are free. Because you are now in a position to receive blessing from the Father based solely on His provision for you. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his sacrifice service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ, verse 12, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being uh, sanctified. So the author here describes the need for a priest or a mediator to offer the same sacrifices over and over, but it wasn't effective with dealing with our sin. Even the high priest had to deal with his own sin before he went into the tabernacle and, and sacrifice on behalf of the people. And it's the same with us. If we keep trying to placate God or impress Him with the things that we do, what we find is now a burden in our life. We find a burden that is too hard to bear, and our work is never done. I mean, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he used to sleep outside in, in below freezing temperatures to try to placate God. He would whip himself. He went to, uh, he went to confession so many times a day, the priest said, Martin, come back when you have actually something to confess. And it was on a trip, I believe, to the French Alps or somewhere in the mountains where a, he got sick and a monk was caring for him and he gave him the book of Habakkuk to read. Chapter 2, verse 4, The just shall live by faith. And that verse totally changed him and set on fire the, the, the Reformation. But then he describes... Christ is the single satisfactory for sacrifice and what and what he does and what does he do he rests look at that look at what it said look at verse 12 with me but when Christ had offered all time a single sacrifice for sin he sat down at the right hand of God what did he do he sat down he's at rest even when you blow it 
He's kicking back on his throne with his legs crossed with the Father. He's at rest. And so we should be too. It's like Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. You're all familiar with the story, but I think it's apropos. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. See, Mary was sitting. Martha was standing. She wasn't at rest. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I got a big party and I'm doing this all by myself. Martha, Martha, Jesus said, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion. What portion did Mary choose? She chose to just rest and sit before the Lord and rest with him, which is God's desire for you. So Martha was getting ready for the party to impress those coming over for dinner. Yet she failed to realize that all of her personal sacrifices weren't really that important. Mary was doing the right thing. And what was she doing? She was sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha had quite a little sacrificial system, hoping that it would justify her as the party thrower extraordinaire. Yet the most important person in her life was sitting, waiting for her to rest. Let me ask you, Jesus is sitting and he's waiting for you. When was the last time you rested? When was the last time you quieted your soul before your king? You know, maybe you're running around and you got all these things to do and you're, you're, your hair's on fire. But yet all the while Jesus is sitting. He's waiting for you to sit with them. When have you done that? Because it's it's in the seated position with Him is where you'll find peace and rest. So we're living in that time of the now and not yet. What do I mean? Well, th that's when Jesus will come back and rule and reign and He'll set up the kingdom on earth, which I believe we are closer to that than ever before. The signs are coming together faster and with greater frequency than we've ever seen before. We are most certainly living in the times which Jesus says in Matthew 24, 8, all these are the beginning of birth pangs. Because Jesus has perfected his people, a statement that indicates now and not yet scenario. In other words, we are perfected judicially, but we are also being perfected. God sees the end product, right? The only work left to do is to establish his kingdom here on earth. And we'll be raptured before it all goes down. I'll explain it to you on the way up. I'll edit that part out. And the Holy Spirit, verse. look at verse 15 with me. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. Listen, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Verse 17, 
Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. In other words, you don't have to sacrifice over and over. It's done. It says that the Holy Spirit bears witness that God through Christ wrote the law on our hearts and minds. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? It means because we have a new nature, we can't enjoy sin. We can't. The most miserable person in the world is a, is a saved child of God who continues to uh, return to his own vomit. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the, that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. You know what it's like. You go to the grocery store and you say, oh man, you know, I really shouldn't have that big tub of Haagen-Dazs trying to drop a few pounds. And you know, you begin to, you begin to relate to the law. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. But then, you know, you just want to get a good look at it. So you just kind of walk by it. I'm not going to open the door. Well, I'll just open the door and see, you know. Well, then it just keeps going and going and going until you get home and you're sitting on the couch and the whole thing's gone. And you feel like a bloated mess. But the answer is never, I shouldn't do this. The answer is, I don't have to do this. I don't have to. So the old covenant couldn't do that. The Holy Spirit was not in people the way he is in us. Because Christ had not yet come. But that's why the law was put into place. To keep us close to God. Before Jesus work on the cross. And in fact it says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. Folks the Holy Spirit is not there to toot the whistle. He's there to drive the locomotive. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God and he is worthy of our worship. We can have the sturdiest, most well-built boat with the best sails. But without the wind, you ain't going nowhere. You can have the soundest doctrine. You can have all of your theology correct. You can do all the right things, but you will have no power in your life. There was a young missionary named Herbert Jackson who was given a car to help him in his work. The car was a major asset, but it had one difficulty. It wouldn't start without a push or a jump start. So Jackson devised a system to cope with the car's inability to start. So when he was ready to leave his house, he went to a nearby school and asked permission to bring some of the children out of class to help push start his car. And throughout the day, he was careful to always park the car up on a hill or leave his engine running when he stopped for short visits. And for two years, the young missionary used what he believed was an ingenious method to enable him to use the car. 
But when poor health forced the Jackson family to leave the mission field, uh, a new missionary arrived to lead the mission. And when Jackson explained to the new missionary his methods for starting the car, the young man opened the hood and began inspecting. Why, Dr. Jackson, he interrupted. I believe the only trouble here is a loose cable. He gave the cable a twist, pushed the switch, and the engine roared to life. For two years, Dr. Jackson had used his own wherewithal and devices, and he was exhausted. And he endured needless trouble. The power to start the car was there all the time. It only needed to be connected. Family, listen to me. If you are walking with Jesus and your faith is dry, it's kind of like the dry bones in Ezekiel 37. It's dry. It feels kind of lifeless. You just feel like you're wallowing in mud. You need the Holy Spirit. You need His power. And I'm not talking about uh, speaking in tongues and prophesying, though those things are real and those things are good. I'm talking about just the power to live for Christ in joy and peace. For listen, listen to me. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters in creation in Genesis 1 is in you. The same Holy Spirit that rushed upon David when he was anointed king is in you. The same Holy Spirit that came upon the prophets in the Old Testament is in you. The same Holy Spirit that conceived Jesus in Mary's womb is in you. The same Holy Spirit that Jesus breathed on when he breathed on the disciples in John chapter 20 or 21 is in you. The same Holy Spirit that came upon the disciples in Acts chapter 2 at the Feast of Pentecost is in you. The same Holy Spirit that Paul describes as your down payment for your salvation as well as your comforter is in you. The same Holy Spirit that Jesus laid aside his own deity and trusted throughout his earthly life is in you. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit could be conceived in you. So what do you do with this? It's simple. If you're dry and you feel like you're walking through mud, Reading your Bible alone is not going to give you life. Practicing prayer alone will not give you life. Doing good deeds alone will not give you life. Figuring out new ways and new methods to overcome your habitual sin will not give you the life and the power to overcome. You need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. If I can get free refills with a Coke or a cup of coffee, you can get free refills of the Holy Spirit, His power. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that if you've sinned, you've lost the Holy Spirit. No, no, He is. Christ has made that clear. What I'm talking about is a power, is an overflow. Like if I took a cup of water and I filled it to the brim, that looks like salvation. But then when I ask for the Holy Spirit's power, I just keep pouring and pouring and the Holy Spirit comes out. 
Why? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? To glorify Jesus Christ. For Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will remind you of all that I have taught you and have said to you. And He will help you. The same. So how do you receive the Holy Spirit? The same way you receive Jesus Christ. You simply ask, believe, and receive. Do you want power in your life? Do you want a, a, a life fresh? D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists of all time, was out ministering to Civil War soldiers, both Confederate and Union. But he was just exhausted. And there were these two ladies, these two Methodist ladies that would pray for him. And one of them came up to him and said, you're operating without the power. He says, what do you mean by that? I've got the word of God. I've got these gifts. Now you're operating without the power of the spirit. And he began to think about that. So he locked himself into a hotel room for three days and cried out to God, fill me with your spirit, empower me. And after three days, boom, he was lit like a candle. And D.L. Moody went on to, he went to England twice for the Welsh revivals. And Charles Spurgeon actually lent him his pulpit for evangelism. Bars were closing and, and, and prostitution, brothels were closing because the gospel was just on fire. And he received the power of the Holy Spirit. You can have that power. Because you are a child of God. The same way you receive Christ is the same way you receive the Holy Spirit. You just ask and you receive. And if you feel like Ezekiel 37, a valley of dry bones, simply open your heart to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to, to fill you and reveal Jesus to you. And you will be empowered to live with Him. That's the only way. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't get Christ. Period. And God desires for us to live in that power. The power of the gospel. I believe Jesus is the focal point. I really do. And I've been in churches where the Holy Spirit was the focal point. That's just wrong. Because the Holy Spirit speaks of Christ. But the Spirit is there to help us. He's our helper. Will you receive Him today? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin, so that we could be conceived and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Thank You, Jesus, for sending us the Comforter. Thank You that You're at Your throne now and the, and the Spirit is there and He can be dispatched for, for the asking, especially in this world that we live in. Oh God, help us. Help us to rise above. Help us to rise above all of this garbage in our culture and to stand and be counted as one of your kids and to boldly proclaim the gospel, but only in your power. I pray for anybody that's struggling here, Lord. People that are struggling with habitual sins. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's it could be any number of things. Maybe it's pride. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill them. 
empower them and free them because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen.